Before we begin, I'd like to warn the listeners that this case is not an easy one to digest. The things that happened to this girl were beyond anything I expected and honestly made me feel sick. I won't share all the details out of respect for those involved and affected by this case. However, it should be noted that the details included may still be a bit disturbing for some. Without further ado, this is the story of Junko Furuta. As a 17-year-old girl, Junko lived an honest life in Japan. She was considered to be fairly popular and well-liked by those who knew her. One person took a special interest in Junko and, in doing so, led her to her demise. This was Hiroshi Miyano, who claimed to have a connection to the Yakuza. Known for this, no one dared to go against Miyano, scared of what might happen if they did, but Junko didn't let this rumor affect turning down Miyano's advances. On November 25th, 1988, Hiroshi Miyano and his friend Nobuharu Minota were wandering around a park with the intention of robbing and raping an unsuspecting woman, but their plans changed when they spotted Junko heading home alone. As part of a ruse, Minota attacked her, knocking her off her bike before fleeing the scene. Left behind, Miyano offered to escort Junko home. I'm not sure how he managed it, but somehow Miyano lured Junko to a nearby warehouse where he proceeded to threaten and rape her. At some point, Miyano called his friends Minota, Joagra, and Yasushi Watanabe to brag about what he did. Some say that Agra suggested keeping Junko so all the boys could take a turn, something not uncommon for them as the group had a history of gang rape. Whatever the case was, Junko and Miyano met with the three men around 3am at a park where they threatened to have the Yakuza kill her family if she tried to escape. Outnumbered, overpowered, and scared, Junko was taken to Minota's house and gang raped. Sadly, her story does not end here. This was just day one. On November 27, 1988, Junko's family contacted the police about her disappearance. Catching one of it, the four forced Junko to call home and tell them that not only had she run away and was staying with a friend, but also to stop the investigation. This phone call was considered enough for her parents and the police at the time, so the investigation halted. During this time, Junko was abused, raped, and tortured in unimaginable ways on an almost daily basis. For 44 days, Junko suffered not only at the hands of her captors, but their friends and the 100 plus people who knew what was going on but said and did nothing, including Minota's parents and brother. Trial statements from the boys would shed light on what happened during the time Junko was missing, but nothing said was what anyone was expecting. Junko had been raped over 400 times, beaten and starved. They hung her up and treated her as if she were a punching bag. They dropped barbells on her stomach and hands until her kidneys were damaged and her bones shattered. They humiliated her, burned her, mutilated her, tortured her, and destroyed her mind, body, and soul. 
during the month of December, Junko went through a lot. Her face had swollen up to the point that her features became indistinguishable and she had trouble breathing due to blood accumulating in her nasal cavities. Her body had become so crippled from the torture that it began producing a rotting smell. The severity of her injuries had caused the men to lose interest in her sexually. At one point, they kidnapped and raped another young woman, but unlike Junko, they released the girl. When the public got word of this during the trial, many people couldn't help but wonder why they'd hold Junko for so long, but released the other woman without hesitation. That wouldn't be the only confusing part of the case. On her 16th day of captivity, two police officers showed up to the Minota household off by someone who was bullied into participating in Junko's rape and torture. One of the men answered the door and when asked if there was any young girl in the household, denied it and offered them the opportunity to come inside to look around. The police took his response as a sign of innocence and turned the invitation down. This fact of the case was considered crazy because had they done their jobs, Junko could have not only put these guys away, but also returned home to her family. On January 4th, 1989, Junko was killed. Some state that Minota had lost a lot of money during a Mahjong game and that when he got back to the house, he decided to take his anger out on Junko. Others say that the game of Mahjong was played between the four boys and Junko, who won and angered them. Whatever the case was, they killed her in the most brutal and horrendous manner possible. The four used iron barbells to beat her, poured hot wax on her eyelids, forced Junko to stand on broken bones and burned feet so they could strike her with weapons. At some point, the beating became too much and Junko fell into a nearby stereo, causing her wounds to open up. Not wanting to get blood on them, the men taped plastic bags on their hands so they could continue. collision with the stereo paired with her malnutrition, dehydration, injuries, the beating, and her infections sent her into shock. She began to convulse, to which the men decided to pour lighter fluid on her body and set her on fire. It was reported that Junko had tried to put the fire out, but slowly became more and more unresponsive until she fell unconscious. Not wanting her to escape, the men tied her up and left her there. Two hours, Junko suffered alone and in pain. It was Minota's brother who found her and informed the others that she was dead. The men wrapped her body and placed it in a bag that they taped and put inside an oil barrel. They poured cement into the barrel and let it dry. The original plan was for the men to throw the barrel into the ocean, but something changed. Rather, they left it at an empty building site and it stayed there for two months. interrogated Miyano and Akira, who had been arrested two months prior in January for the rape of a young woman. It was said that the police were hoping to connect the two to the death of a 
woman and her son that had been prior to Junko's disappearance. One police officer was reported to have led me on a lawn with the statement, you shouldn't have murdered someone you know, believing that they were referring to Junko Furuta, thinking that his friend had said something. Miyano told the officers where they could find her body and even apologized for having killed her. The police were confused by what he was talking about, but nonetheless, they listened and found Junko's body. Due to the state the body was in upon discovery, they had to use her fingerprints to identify it as being that of Junko Furuta. It was in her autopsy that the true extent of her injuries were revealed. They knew she had been raped numerous times and tortured in multiple ways, but nothing could prepare them for what lay underneath her skin. The examiner noted that she had suffered from multiple injuries, both internal and external. But the part that surprised everyone was the fact that her brain had shown evidence of increased shrinkage, an abnormal phenomenon for even this case. The examiner was able to pinpoint this as being an effect of the things she went through, which made one wonder how bad did the beatings and torture have to be for this to happen. In July of 1990, the men received their sentences. Miano, 17 years in prison. Minato, 4 to 6 years in prison. Wantanabe, 3 to 4 years in prison. And Agra, 8 years in a juvenile prison. I have no idea what was going on in this judge's mind, but to me, these sentences were way too late for the level of evil that these men demonstrated. And even the people of Japan felt the same. Based on their ages and the crime in Japan, the maximum punishment would have been capital punishment for Miyano, who was 18 at the time of the murder, and life imprisonment for the other three. Not only was the time they were given disrespectful, but also the way Minota's family was treated. Not a single one of the three were charged. The parents and brother of Minato admitted to having known about Junko being held captive in the house but claimed that they feared their son so much, knowing his association with the Yakuza, that it made them fear for their own lives to go to the police. It took the Fruta family taking them to civil court in order for them to get some justice. And even then, what they were given was just blood money coming from the house their daughter was kept in. If that wasn't worse enough, three of the men had the audacity to appeal their sentences. Thankfully, the judge appointed to their appeal saw through their ignorant, immature lies and admit- Thankfully, the judge appointed to their appeal saw through their ignorant, immature lies and added a bit more time to their sentences, though it was only by two to three years. In all honesty, the whole case rather irritated me. 
and beyond upset with what was done to Junko during those 44 days of hell, yes, but more so I'm beyond pissed at what was done to her after death. It wasn't enough that these four men did all the things I mentioned and far worse, but the fact that she was denied proper justice is mind-blowing. Add to the fact that this could have been prevented had someone done something different within that 44-day time period. I mean, over a hundred people knew what was going on in that hellhouse, and yet they turned a blind eye to it. Junko Furuto was denied her life and her justice. Even years afterwards, justice has been kept from her. How is that fair? How is it that these men only lost a couple years when someone else lost a daughter, a friend, a wife?